I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. What does it mean to live outside the walls? It means basically, uh, can your parents take you out in public? Right. Those of you who are parents, you know what I'm talking about. Can you are your children prepared to live outside the walls? Right. And represent your family well. Uh, and, and we work. We, we sit down at the dinner table. We, we sit down with the kids. We have dinner together every night and we work on manners at home like we're going to be out in public because one of these days I'm going to have to take you out in public and you better behave appropriately to that setting and that scenario. Uh, and so. <laughs> This show is kind of like that. It's practice for when we, as the family of faith, we go out in public for everyone to see. Are we going to behave with the appropriate decorum for the situation? Are we going to be able to present the gospel in in a way that is appealing, that shows the power of Jesus Christ uh, as he has impacted our lives? Or are we going to be a whole bunch of gossiping, backbiting uh, contentious children of God who make everyone else in the restaurant of the world look at us and go, oh my gosh, look at them. Were they raised by wolves? Well, this has been a week that's kind of tested that because uh, last week, at the end of last week, we had uh, Pope Francis released his apostolic exhortation, which was a, a, a response to the two synods of the family that we had had. Uh, and there was general pandemonium everywhere, everywhere, whether you went to social media, whether you went to Catholic blogosphere, whether you went to uh, to the not not Catholic blogosphere. Everyone has responded to this in, in one way or another, uh, generally with um, sadness and hand wringing and generally just people freaking out. Basically, everywhere you go, if you go to CNN, they're freaking out because the Pope makes some very strong statements against uh, gender theory and against uh, the idea of uh, a homosexual union being ever put on the same level as as um, the union of marriage. He made that very clear. And so those who were expecting uh, that he was just going to come in and swoop in and change all of church teaching to make it uh, identical to the culture, uh, they were disappointed. Right. And those of us who have known that that was going to be the case all along, we're like, well, what exactly did you expect to have happen in this case? Because this is what the Catholic faith is. And then you had people who they have their conception of what it means for the Catholic faith to be Catholic. And and they have their interpretations of a specific doctrine and how that uh, affects discipline. And they have a certain expectation of how the Pope is supposed to talk uh, regarding these issues. And, and they were disappointed because the, the, the Pope was not crystal clear about everything. He, he left some, ambiguity if you're going in and reading uh, a single docu- a single paragraph at a time. But at the beginning of it, he made sure that everyone knows this is one document. Read the whole document. Read it prayerfully. Read it carefully. And so people are going in and they're picking out one or two little things that, that, that upset them, and they're not looking at the whole picture, the, the, uh, the whole document. And, and really, generally, it betrays a little bit of our own expectations of what a pope is and how a pope acts. 
so you've got these people who are freaking out because the Pope is interpreting things or emphasizing things differently than they would. Well, let me tell you something. If this is if you're a person who's concerned about this, uh, I just want to help you out. You uh, the, the Pope is going to talk differently than you and, and emphasize differently than you because you are not the Pope. Let me say that again. You, you right there listening or the person who is freaking out, who's been really pestering you or bothering you on social media all week. Uh, that person is not the Pope. I am not the Pope. And so obviously the Pope is going to think differently than me on some issues. Uh, we've got a great amount of of agreement where I I see completely eye to eye with him. There are some things that that I don't completely understand where he's coming from. And then part of that is because he is not me. Right. He's a different guy. Now, all of this to say, uh, it it doesn't it doesn't have to match up with my expectations or understandings. Uh, And we're going to talk about this uh, much later. I think uh, at the end of the show, um, I want to read to you again. I've done this before, but it's been a while. uh, This just crystal clear, lovely passage uh, out of G.K. Chesterton. So we're not going back to the fathers of the church today. We're going to spend some time with Chesterton in our fourth segment uh, from his essay on when he converted. And when I converted to the Catholic faith, uh, it, it, I wrestled with some things that I was not completely sure about. But ultimately, I came to a place where I could say, I trust the church. I trust the church and I trust her guidance of me. I trust that I'm going to be incorrect on some things and that I'm going to have to to really listen and and wrestle and try to figure out what the church is trying to tell me. But but I could be wrong. And I trust that the church is guided by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we, we talk a lot on this show about the implications of our faith. But I want to talk a little bit about the implications of our our statements, of the of our responses, because you have these people who are, are generally freaked out. Uh, and and I, I would love to use a milder word, but there there isn't a milder word that is accurate. I mean, people are legitimately uh, freaked out by the way that the Pope has addressed uh, the, sp- the specific issue. I think that people are, are nervous about is the the question of communion and how that affects people who are in uh, a second union after a marriage who don't have an annulment. And we we I did a show with on annulments back with Jimmy Aiken. A while ago, you can find that in the archives over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You just click on Episode Archives and search through those. Uh, and so there, there is some legitimate question of uh, how do these situations that we find ourselves in, how do they impact the way that we're able to interact with the life of the church and the sacramental life? There's some legitimate questions there um, that I don't really think are impacted uh, in a negative way by this latest exhortation. But you've got people that just really are up in arms and nervous and think that Pope Francis is somehow betraying the church. And, and I uh, I can't go there. I don't go there. I, I look at what Pope Francis is doing and I see that it is a different emphasis than we've had in the, fact, in, in the past. You know, it, it is an emphasis on mercy on a very tangible and real and visceral level. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't see the problem that a lot of these other po- people are, are commenting about. Now, it's not that I'm uneducated about the, the doctrine of the church regarding marriage or that I have no interest in it or that I want to see it changed. Um, 
I, for four years, was the director of marriage and family life for the Diocese of Tulsa. This is something that, that's very much something within my wheelhouse uh, and something that I think is exceptionally important. Not only that, but I am married, so I have a, a vested interest, and uh, and I have a family. I have six children. Six children. Just got the, the youngest one baptized. That's super exciting. The smell of chrism is wafting through my house. You know, you, you this is completely separate. You, you bathe the baby immediately before the baptism so that um, so that you can go a couple of weeks without giving him a bath. So that, you know, you let the chrism wear off naturally and you just smell you smell their little heads for as long as you can. But that's that's uh, that has nothing to do with this document. That's something uh, that's a personal piety, I guess. <laughs> Don't bathe the baby after the ba- after the baptism. You have to smell them for like three weeks. Um, until until some other smell begins to overpower the 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 uh, fading smell of chrism, and then 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 it's time. Then it's time. But you know, I do have an interest in this topic. I have an interest in this topic uh, on an academic level. I think that the the doctrines of the church regarding marriage are right and true and good, and and still, uh, when we're when we're looking at this document, this really uh, good, rich, full document it may not be as systematic as we would expect from, you know, Pope John Paul II or Pope uh, Benedict. Uh, but it, it is still a lovely document. And so when, he, when we're, he's pointing out the fact that these doctrines, which are fundamental principal truths, uh, are still uh, lived out by people. Right. And and people are complex. We may be able to reason our way through a definitive place in the doctrine, but then you have to bring people along. You have to accompany people on their journey. You have to realize that this is a person with real hurts and real experiences that that is not yet in a place where they can fully assent and and live perfectly the demands of the church. But I have a question. Are any of us, honestly, any of us able to fully appropriate and live out perfectly the demands of the church? No, no, we're not. Now, that doesn't make allowance for us. We still have something to aspire to. Uh, We still need to pursue holiness and to form our consciences. But it means that the church walks alongside us and helps us to get to the place rather than uh, holding up a set of criteria and looking at check boxes and saying, oh, no, sorry, no, your, your name's not on the list. You can't come in the door. Uh, we, we invite people into the life of the church and draw them toward the sacraments. Right after this break, we're going to talk with Mark Shea. He's the author of the book, By What Authority?, available on Ignatius Press, about this very issue. Uh, What kind of authority does the Pope have to say these kind of things? And what do I have to do in response to that? Well, join our conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle is at Outside the Walls. I know there's a lot to talk about today, so I, I hope that you'll join in that conversation. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. 
Well, if you are at all active on uh, on social media, on the internet, on Catholic blogs of any kind, uh, this last week has been an interesting one. As you have uh, no doubt seen, the, the Pope has released his apostolic exhortation. Really, you don't even have to be on, on social media because, uh, you know, CNN and and, uh, and Slate and any number of other non-Catholic sources have picked it up with their own uh, interpretations of, of what it means. And, uh, you know, I've been really kind of rattled by it a little bit. I had my plan of what we were going to talk about during the Easter season on the show uh, and as as this document came out, I, I wasn't rattled so much by the document, um, but more so by uh, the the ferocity with which people have been uh, responding to it. And so I, I today on our show, we have a, a very special guest. We have uh, my favorite uh, agent provocateur, uh, Mark Shea, author of several books, including one of my favorites, Mary, Mother of the Sun. Uh, and then a, a book that I think touches really well on our topic today, a book called By What Authority? You can find also a lot of his writings on uh, National Catholic Register as well as other uh, places. Uh, he's very active on Facebook, uh, not one to back down from uh, from a good uh, engagement. <laughs> <laughs> And and you're the host of a show here on Breadbox Media, uh, connecting the dots every weekday, five p.m. Eastern, uh, with various compatriots. Yes, uh, well, and I'm glad to be here. I, this is uh, I, I have not done anybody else's show on Breadbox Media, so it's uh, it, it's 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 fun visiting. Visiting the neighbor, I'm, I'm just stopping by for a cup of sugar. So, uh, well, you know, it's because we're we're a Saturday show. You don't have anything else to do, so I got nothing to do. Got yeah. nothing to do, minus, <laughs> except for taxes. But other than you know, <laughs> uh, son's working on taxes. By the way, if you're listening to this and you've not yet done your taxes, lucky you, the uh, the deadline has been extended to the 18th this year. You better get on it because uh, you right. are running out of time. So. <laughs> Speaking of running out of time, you know, I am a convert. You're a convert. Yes. And and so for me, when I came into the church, it took me 10 years to get to the point where I could say that line at confirmation. I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church believes, teaches, and proclaims to be revealed by God. It yeah. took me 10 years to get to the place where I could say that. And so it's it's frustrating, probably more so when I see converts uh who are still kind of steeped in in their Protestant mindset of drawing their battle lines and preserving the right. faith. You know, right. when, when I was a Protestant, I had to do that. I had to say, no, 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 this is orthodoxy and you don't cross over that. But right. let's talk a little bit. Let's go all the way back to your book, By What Authority. Let's talk a little bit about what authority looks like in the Catholic Church and how that relates to how we are right. to respond to this kind of a document. Right. Well, what the what Chester G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite authors, remarks is uh, the uh, conversion involves in part crossing the line from saying, "By great good fortune, the church teaches this truth and that truth and this other truth," uh, and coming to the realization uh, that the church is a truth-telling thing, uh, and so if the church is teaching something. Our default position should be, and this is an old-fashioned word uh, and one that fills many people with dread, especially Americans, our default should be docility. Oh. 
Uh, it's like a Mufasa. Docil- Say it again. Docility. <laughs> and uh, but but that's the approach that we ought to take to the teaching of the church. In other words, our first response to the teaching of the church uh, should not be: Is this the moment when the Pope? <laughs> rips off his mask and reveals himself as a lizard creature. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> but but the, really, there are an awful lot of people, uh, and I'm sad to say uh, many of them are converts, but a lot of them are cradle Catholics too, who, for different reasons, t- treat the church as though she's on probation. Right. I will. I will go so far with the church. But uh, when, you know, Francis says this, then he is, that is a bridge too far. Uh, And people sort of bring their expectations Mm -hmm. uh, of this to them. And and there's all kinds of reasons for this. So one of the things that I discovered uh, uh, as a convert, I I think we probably both had this experience. Um, When you come to the church as a convert, especially from evangelical Protestantism, Mm-hmm. What you're primarily responding to the church as, in many cases, is as a – or the faith is a body of doctrines. And so you kind of go through these various doctrines and say, well, okay, I can buy this and I can buy that <laughs> right. and I can buy this other thing. Uh, and you finally reach the point where you say, you know, it looks like everything here checks out. I think the church is, in fact, the church that Christ founded and 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 so speaks with his, his authority, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's very often the experience of a convert with a cradle Catholic. What I it finally began to dawn on me was that the experience of the church for a cradle Catholic is wildly different. Mm hmm. Uh, a, a cradle Catholic is raised within the faith, uh, and his primary experience of the faith is as a family. And how do you relate to your family? Well, it's a very different thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you're when you're relating to your family, you say things like, and we've all we've said this too, you know. Well, yeah, my old man it says crazy things sometimes, <laughs> right? But that doesn't mean I'm not a Shay anymore. Right. And so I'm just, I'm going to stick with the family. Uh, but I'm not sure that I buy this weird thing that Uncle Bill said. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so you, you get these, these uh, approaches to the faith. And one of the things that happens with converts as well is a lot of, and this is perfectly understandable, is converts have their their pet issues that they bring right uh to the faith and uh as long as it seems like my pet issue is the church will back me on my pet issue mm-hmm. then okay i'm going to trust the church and so you get people who converts who come into the church who really the church is still on probation for them yeah you know for- and if the church does something surprising. So, for example, a couple of years ago, Francis says, um, uh, which, by the way, was perfectly orthodox. He said right. that the cent- the center of our faith is not uh, uh, arguments about abortion and gay marriage and euthanasia. The center of our faith is Jesus Christ. Well, a lot of converts were really taken aback by that uh, because 
those were very important issues to them. And, and you know what they are? A oh, lot of times, a lot of times those are the the reason they came into the Catholic Church is because where they yes. were was already fighting with that. So that was their kind of line in the sand right. as it was. And so what they're really right. saying is, you know, I I have the the conviction that this issue, that this position on this issue is absolutely correct. And so right. I'll leave whoever disagrees with that. So they don't necessarily right. even come into the, the fullness of uh, of submitting to the authority of the church. They just get to the right, place, well, right. well, right now they're still holding that line, so it's okay and safe for me to go there. Right. And, you know, the thing is, is that Francis was absolutely right. The center of our faith is not any, well, it's not any social issue. It's not any political theory. It's not, uh, you know, what you think about evolution or or any of those things. The center of our faith is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh And the irony, of course, is that in saner moments, we recognize this. We recognize that the church is not primarily, it's not a vehicle for social reform. Does social reform happen because of the church? Absolutely. Right. But that's not why the church was founded. The church was not founded to defeat slavery or, uh, you know, establish Western democratic capitalism <laughs> or do any of these things. The, the church was, was founded in order to say God has become man in Christ, died for our sins, and been raised from the dead. Everything else that goes with that is important, but that's the center. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, but, when, but when Francis made that point, everybody, what everybody heard was he's, 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 a, he's, he's becoming pro-choice, you know. <laughs> right. Gonna, He's, he's going to flip out and approve of gay marriage. And we saw the same thing with the Synod on the Family. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw people who were just incredibly exercised because the Synod on the Family was, it's the Pope is getting ready to betray us all, and it's et cetera, et cetera. And some people got, them so, got themselves so worked into this state of conviction that the Pope is, is going to betray us all, uh, mm-hmm. that when the letter came out, they still... They couldn't divest themselves of that. Well, and they went looking and so they specifically. The yeah, they they went looking for betrayal, right? Uh, and and it's and the and the letter turns out to be you know disappointingly orthodox for those people. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I found a footnote. Stop the, I found a footnote. You know where the Pope says something, and uh, and so that whole approach to the faith uh, of saying you are on probation. Mm-hmm. You're on, you know, as Stephen Colbert would say, you're on notice, buddy. You know, so when we uh, is the wrong way to approach the teaching of the church. Yeah, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what what the right way is first of all, and, and how right. that plays out, and why uh, we can speak with with conviction and surety uh, on behalf of obeying the pope and listening with with weight to what the pope has to say we're talking today with mark shea author apologist uh general agent provocateur uh, and breadbox media host Uh, join us on social media join the conversation facebook.com slash step outside the walls on twitter the handles at outside the walls i want to know what you think about this topic we'll be right back right after this
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. We're talking today uh, with Mark Shea. You may know him from his books, By What Authority, uh, Mary, Mother of the Son, uh, many others. Uh, you may know him by his, uh, his Facebook pres- presence, uh, always out there stirring the waters. Uh, you may know him from Breadbox Media. Uh, He's got a show every weekday, 5 p.m. Eastern, called Connecting the Dots, where he talks with uh, some of his compatriots about the issues of the day and uh, and and superhero movies. Right. You love superhero movies and and Coen Brothers movies and Coen Brothers movies. Uh, And uh, you may know him from the National Catholic Register, where he regularly blogs. But today we're talking about uh, what it means when the Pope releases a document that freaks you out. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a sense uh, you get these people who are running out there saying, oh, but this isn't a binding document. This isn't a binding document. Uh, and so you've got two sides. You've got the one side that's like, well, there's some good things in here uh, and nothing has changed. And it's and even if it did change, it's not a binding document. And then you have the other side of people who are uh, running around like Chicken Little because the sky is falling and the Pope is going to abandon the faith and the whole church that Jesus Christ founded is on the brink of disaster because right. of, of one person. And and right. you have these people say... And a footnote. Uh, on a footnote. Uh, <laughs> and, and I've heard a couple of things. One, I heard one person say, um, well, you know, we've had we've had lots of anti-popes in the past. I'm like, Yes, there there have been, but there was also a pope this at that isn't time. One. <laughs> this isn't one. This is a validly elected pope. And then the the second thing that I've heard is, well, yeah, well, even even Catherine of Siena uh, went and corrected the pope. Like, you know what? If <laughs> if you're in a place where you have the access and ability to walk up to the pope and see him face to face, and and you feel the authority from the Holy Spirit to bring him a correction, then by all means, go for it. <laughs> But he's not reading your Facebook page, man. There's a there's a wonderful uh, there's a wonderful Catholic satire uh, webzine called Eye of the Tiber. Yes, and the headline yesterday was uh, Pope Francis found weeping in Vatican men's room over bad reviews of Immortal Letizia. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, well, and, and that really brings us to our our how we should approach the faith. Yes. Um, what Jesus tells the apostles and the apostles hand down to us with the expectation that uh, we will listen mm-hmm. is very straightforward. He who listens to you listens to me and he who listens to me listens to him who sent me. Uh, and so the, the, the teaching authority of the church is established by Jesus for our good. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, one of the things that you remarked on earlier, which is perfectly true, uh, and you can say this, by the way, about virtually everything that the magisterium has to say mm-hmm. <laughs> on a day-to-day basis, uh, which, are, which are the words, this is not infallible, you know, this is right. not binding, you know. Typically, when the magisterium speaks, typically when the pope speaks, it's not infallible teaching. Uh, but here's the thing. The pope is the only person on earth... Uh, that Catholics routinely say, if it's not infallible, you could just blow it off. Right. right. I, you would never go. You would never go to your tax advisor or your garage mechanic or your doctor, and if your doctor says, "I think you you've got a spot on your lung," you're going to want to look at that. 
Mm-hmm. You would never look at your doctor and say, are you speaking infallibly? <laughs> oh, well, then I don't have to care, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, when the Pope teaches about the faith, or when you know your bishop teaches about the faith, the first rule of thumb that you should start with is he probably knows what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Even if he's not speaking infallibly, he's probably got something here that is really worth listening to. And so the posture that we should assume is one of, and here comes that word again, docility, of the assumption that the Pope has, or in this case, we're talking about the Pope, the Pope or your bishop, you know, has something uh, worthwhile to say, and that we should especially, especially pay attention when he says something that doesn't fit into our thinking, that it sounds weird to us that challenges us uh, because, again, getting back to Chesterton, what we want is not a faith that moves with the world. We want a faith that will move the world. And the faith is by its nature, it's going to present us with things that we don't want to hear. Right. <laughs> it's going to challenge us. So you should especially assume that when you're reading something in the faith that makes you go, wait, what? That's the moment where you really need to listen. Uh, it's not when the Pope uh, says, you know what? You're awesome. <laughs> you got no problems. Thumbs up. You know, you're doing great. You're the best, right? And of course, that's what we want to hear. Right. So we're talking with Mark Shea today. And so, Mark, we're, we're, you know, I look at this situation where somebody says, oh, it's not infallible. I don't, I don't have to listen to it because I disagree with it. And, and what we're really doing is we're saying, Okay, here we have a situation where either the church is wrong for asking you to be docile uh, or or you're wrong, w- one of the two. And so you're setting yourself up in that case as the arbiter of what is true right. rather than humbling ourselves and say, you know, two things might be happening here because I'm concerned about the the, the vagueness of this article or this footnote, and I want it to be just crystal clear. So two things may right. be happening. One. I may be misunderstanding what the Pope is trying to say. And so I should spend a little bit more time looking at it from a different perspective than I am currently doing so. So I need to look at this through a different commentary, from a different angle, from a different lens, to look if maybe the Pope is actually saying something that the world needs to hear right now. Maybe I need to look at it as someone who is not an American would look at it, because we have a global faith. Right. And the second thing is maybe, just maybe, uh, I am uh, not misunderstanding what the Pope is saying, but I'm incorrect <laughs> about how I'm approaching this issue. Hey, let's not get carried away here. And, and how I've interpreted the faith up until this point. Maybe <laughs> I'm actually in need from time to time. Of, of a solid slap on the wrist, of a correction uh, that will bring me more in line with the heart of Christ within his church. And, and the reason that I can look at the Pope and say these Defeat things... Defeat us trash! I cannot be wrong! <laughs> and may, maybe the reason, though, I mean, the reason that I can approach the Pope with docility is not because I know for a fact that I like Pope Francis. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. That's not the issue. It, it's... It has more to do with the fact that Christ promised that in matters of faith and morals, he would not allow the church to be led astray. 
Right. Right. And so it's not my faith in Pope Francis that I can say, calm down, you people. It's the fact that I said I would believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church believed, taught, and proclaimed to be revealed by God. And, and, And part of that is the infallibility of the Church, which doesn't mean that the Pope is incapable of error. That's impeccability. It means that Christ is going to make it a, a safe to believe the church for this very reason, because right. we need to know that we're not going to have to nitpick every doctrine, every teaching, every something and, and be the arbiters. Otherwise right. we're going to have these freak outs all the time. Just look at the Protestant churches. Right. <laughs> And you can, you know, one of the paradoxes, of course, uh, about the faith is that on the one hand, what we say is that the church has a deposit of faith that has come down to it. Right. Uh, and that deposit of faith uh, will not be allowed to fall into error. At the same time, of course, what the church also has to do is it then has to make all kinds of different prudential judgments mm-hmm. uh, about how to live that deposit of faith out. You know, and it's at that point, of course, that we really can, there's there's lots of room for give and take uh, about how you're going to do that. You know, and, and part of that uh, is going to is going to be dependent on the particular historical circumstances in which we find ourselves. Absolutely. So, and that's what the church, of course, is wrestling with right now. So you got a church that has never had it's simply in its entire 2000 year history. It's never had to address Something like transgenderism, right? It's just right? doesn't. It's never come up before, uh, and and in the you know in the same way you've got a church that's got a deposit of faith, uh, and then somebody comes up to the church one day and says, "What should we do about gene splicing?" Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Saint Peter didn't have to think about that a lot, so the church is going to have to think about that now. Uh, and figure out how, how to apply the tradition to it, and and so it's at that point, it's at the juncture where the where the deposit of faith meets particular historical circumstances that prudential judgments need to be made, and there's not an abs- there is not, not a guarantee uh, that the church will always make the right move or that people will listen to what the church has to say, mm-hmm. uh, but. You start, nonetheless, with docility. You start with the assumption that our magisterial teachers know what they're talking about when they're talking about the deposit of faith, right. uh, that they uh, mean well, and more than that, that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, guiding the church. And that's what comes through so much in the panic over things like Amoris Laetitia, uh, is the people who talk about things like this really tend to talk as though we're on our own. Right. The Holy Spirit is not going to help us. We're just out there trying to, you know, there's no hope. and, and, And there's lots of hope. The Holy Spirit is with the church. We've been talking with Mark Shea today, author of By What Authority, available on Ignatius Press. You can also catch him on Breadbox Media every day at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, I want you to join my conversation. Go on over to Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls on Twitter. The handle's at Outside the Walls. There's a lot to talk about today. What do you think about the spirit of docility and how that applies to you in your practice of faith? There's much more right after the break. Stick around. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking around. Always enjoy being around Mark Shea. Uh, he is a little bit different of a personality than I am, but lots of fun. Uh, never a dull moment around that guy. And, uh, you know, it also just has a very clear way, specifically in his books, just a really clear way of articulating the truth of the church. Uh, one of the first books of his that I read was uh, his book at the time. It was a trilogy on uh, on Mary called Mary, Mother of the Son. Now it's been compiled into a single book. And for me, when I came into the church, Mary was one of those things I was a little unsure about. And uh, he helped me through that book to really understand why the church says what it says about her and, and brought me to a really a place of uh, acceptance, maybe even to the level of devotion. Uh, that that I wouldn't have otherwise had. So I encourage you to find him, uh, take a look at his books, specifically based on today's topic, his book, uh, By What Authority. It's available on Ignatius Press. I'll put a link to that up on uh, social media. Why don't you go over there and uh, have a conversation with me about this topic of how we approach uh, difficult topics that we're not sure about. Well, you know, as I've as we've been thinking about this, as we've been talking about it throughout the show, I I did want to take some time and approach scripture and approach some other document. Normally we do a document of the church or of a church father. Today we're going to do G.K. Chesterton, uh, good old Chesterton, uh, 19 converted to the Catholic Church in 1926 uh, and just as, as a way with words. So he wrote a, an essay. I was going to say an article. He wrote an essay uh, called The Catholic Church and Conversion, right in 1926, when he converted. And uh, we're going to take a piece of that, a couple of paragraphs of that, and read it today. But before we get there, I want to spend a little bit of time in Scripture. So today's gospel, how appropriate is this, right? Um, today's gospel, if you were to go to daily Mass, you would hear this out of John 6. Now, when we generally as Catholics or as, as people who are used to Catholic apologetics, when we hear John 6, we know that it's the bread of life discourse where Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. That's not what we're reading today in the gospel. In fact, what we're reading today is the aftermath of Jesus saying that. And I think it's really appropriate because today's show has been about the aftermath of the Pope saying something or other that we disagree with. Uh, or are concerned about, right? So let's just read today's gospel and see if we can see, just maybe, see if we can see some parallels. Many of the disciples who were listening said, this saying is hard, who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit that gives life while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer walked with him. Then Jesus said to the, the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. 
That reading comes from John 6. And I want to point out that Peter did not answer the question, right? Jesus asked, said to the 12, he asked them, do you also want to leave? And Peter, speaking for the apostles, did not say, no, Lord, we don't want to go, right? He didn't say, no, we're completely 100% on board. We understand everything you're saying, and we think it's awesome. Well, what he said was, okay, so yeah, we're going to leave. Where, where is that? Where are we going to go? Really? We, we've, come, we've become convinced that you are the Christ, the Holy One of God, and so um, we're stuck, right? He didn't say that he was fully on board. He said, I guess this is what we're on board for, right? I guess this is what we, I thought we were going this way. Now I'm going to, I guess we're going this way now, right? I guess we've changed direction. This is completely foreign to me, but I guess that's the way it is, right? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's how I feel personally, me coming into the church. It's always been for me, even from the, with the moment we first converted, it's been to whom shall we go? We have to go to the Catholic church. Uh, I don't, I didn't at that time necessarily understand or agree with everything. Uh, I already talked to you about the, the, my whole concern with Mary and that's something that Mark Shea, our guest today helped me uh, understand a little bit better, but it was a sense of uh, no one else has the words of eternal life. I don't understand this. I don't completely fully understand why it's necessary, why I should have to go this direction. But I know that the Catholic Church has the words of life. And so I'm going to submit to it. It's the same thing that Peter did. You know, do you want to leave also? I'm not going to answer that question, but where would we go if we did? And and that's what I want to put to you today. Uh, if If the Pope is not giving us something important, if we don't take the time to really examine it and look for the meat and see what the spirit wants to tell us through that, where are we going to go? Where else are you going to find the true and eternal life and word of God? Where else are you going to find the Eucharist given to us in the body, blood, soul, and divinity? Uh, it's in the church. And so as the head of the church, as the Pope, as the head of the, the local church, my bishop, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to uh, give him preference over my own opinion. Uh, not that I am unthinking. In fact, I think that you have to think more uh, because this is not just professing, right? I'm not just saying, well, I, I, I guess that's what it's going to be now. I'm just going to profess this. It's professing and believing. I've got to come and wrestle with it to a place where I can actually believe this. And so there, there's a, quite a bit of of work that goes into looking at a document that maybe you're unsure of and giving it uh, at least at the very least special attention. I'm going to, uh, to put aside my first conceptions and my preconceptions, and I'm going to approach this with docility. It doesn't mean that I have to absolutely obey it, but it means that I can't be combative towards it. I have to be docile toward the teaching of the church and what the church is trying to give me at any given moment. So let's go take a look at this uh, reading. And, you know, uh, from G.K. Chesterton, Mark brought this up a little bit in our previous segment. Uh, He didn't exactly quote this uh, because Chesterton talked about this several times about wanting a church not that moves with the world, but a church that moves the world. And uh, this is from his his essay, uh, The Catholic Church and Conversion. And he says this. This is G.K. Chesterton. 
We do not really want a religion that is right where we are right. We want a religion that is right where we are wrong. In these current fashions, it's not really a question of the religion allowing us a liberty, but at best, of the liberty allowing us a religion. These people merely take the modern mood, with much in it that's amiable, and much that is anarchical, and much that is merely dull and obvious, and then require any creed to be cut down to fit that mood. But the mood would exist even without the creed. They say they want a religion to be social when they would be social without any religion. They say they want a religion to be practical when they would be practical without any religion. They say they want a religion acceptable to science when they would accept the science even if they did not accept the religion. They say they want a religion like this because they are like this already. They say they want it when what they mean is that they could do without it. It's a very different matter when a religion, in the real sense of a binding thing, binds men to their morality when it is not identical with their mood. It is very different when some of the saints preached social reconciliation to fierce and raging factions who could hardly bear the sight of each other's faces. It was a very different thing when charity was preached to pagans who really did not believe in it, just as it is now a very different thing when chastity is preached to new pagans who do not believe in it. It is in those cases when we get the real grapple of religion. It is in those cases when we get the particular and solitary triumph of the Catholic faith. It is not in merely being right when we are right, as in being cheerful or hopeful or humane. It is having been right when we were wrong, and in the fact coming back upon us afterward like a boomerang. One word that tells us what we do not know outweighs a thousand words that tell us what we do know. And the thing is all the more striking if we not only did not know it, but could not believe it. It may seem a paradox to say that the truth teaches us more by the words we reject than by the words we receive. That's a little brief section from G.K. Chesterton out of his essay, The Catholic Church and Conversion, published in 1926. And this is the real thing here. Uh, you know, what is it that this document or whatever the document that's got you up in arms, what is it that this document has to teach you not to do away with what you already knew, but to put it in a clearer and newer perspective in his book, Catholic Christianity. Uh, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Peter Kreeft has this quote, the Catholic church doesn't have authority over sacred tradition because she's not its author. Its author is Christ. She can interpret it and draw out its inner meanings, but she can never correct it. She can add to it, but never subtract from it. And when she adds, she adds organically, like a tree adds fruit, not mechanically like a construction crew adds another story to a house. And so with this document and others, we have to ask ourselves, where's the organic movement? What am I being asked to add to what I've already known? Well, why don't you join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter, the handles at outside the walls and be a part of that conversation. Outside the walls is a co-production of Breadbox Media and St. Michael Catholic Radio heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.